Okay, okay with Ian E. Bright, Pinwheel Horizon, uh, winning uh, winning short film at the, the Fantasy Sci-Fi Film Festival. It just gets right to it. Fourteen minutes long, but it gets it gets goes gets right to the action. It kind of like before it establishes anything, we kind of like establish the setting, establish the situation. I really like this film a lot, and it's it seems to be doing well on the festival circuit. Right, Ian? Seems to be blowing up everywhere. It seems like it's having a moment, which is nice, because we had a very delayed start, which I was surprised by, because I'm really proud of the film. But yes, uh, it, it has, you know, this kind of late summer through now, uh, and including the Audience Award with, with your festival, it it's getting eyeballs on it, and we are all really proud because we worked hard on it. Okay, so we're on a, a barren plant, I guess, right? So this is like pure sci-fi. This is this is fantasy, I guess, right? We don't. This is kind of from your your kind of your imagination. Yep. Yeah, I like uh, you know I like minimalist things. I would say that's part of having ADHD. You know, too much clutter kind of irritates me <laughs> in real life. So I bring that into my uh, films. And yeah, I like uh, watching things that are not too polished and pristine. I think like human experience has kind of a tactile lived in aesthetic. So in the instance of Pinwheel Horizon, that, you know, happens to be this planet Yiv. And, you know, we see the dirt and the sweat on these three warriors in a very like, quote unquote, real setting. Although obviously that's real in the galaxy far, far away cliche. <laughs> so where did this like, kind of idea pop into it? And I have to ask before uh, another follow-up is that this seems like a, to be a bigger story. Is that, would that be a true assessment? Like there seems to be a, like a larger story here. Oh, that's, well, that's a compliment actually. Uh, I hope, but I appreciate it. And the honest answer is it was never written to be um, a proof of concept. Um, you know, my storytelling mentor is Brian McDonald, uh, and I worked at a creative agency uh, when he was like the kind of the story teacher there. And he wrote Invisible Ink, which is a fantastic book for any writer. I just, you know, everybody has a recommendation. I've read most of them, and I think they're too confusing. His book is is really the one that uh, improved me as a writer. And one of his core teachings is, you know, know your theme before. Uh, you go into the story and mm-hmm. have a have a framework. He calls it an armature. And long story short, that's like, you know, first, second and third act. And so I really feel like anytime I quote unquote get out of bed on a film, I need to have a beginning, middle and end for sort of the benefit of the viewer that it's like a disservice if it's, um, you know, a slice of life or doesn't resolve itself. So the the honest truth is it was written to kind of be a contained piece. But I will say when we were in post-production on it, um, I started thinking about it and was like, I, there's a feature here. And, and, you know, I've since sort of cooked up what I think would be a good hook. Um, so yes and no. <laughs> At this no, moment, I got you. So it kind of manifested like the, like, cause you saw totally. the final product and it's like, oh, there is a, but, but but your original concept was a kind of a contained short film, right? So yeah, and you you know it's nice what you said that um, you know another thing he he teaches is you know that inciting incident we sort of that follows the 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 setup is what's the, what's the curveball that kind of knocks your protagonist off off of normal, and so in a sort of very matter of fact way, I mean we tried to stage it 
cinematically, but we really, really start on battle because in their world, battle is nothing special. And then obviously it's the fact that they're approaching the end that sets things off in, you know, in kind of a psychological way initially where they're like, you know, intimidated, but also hopeful. So you're, you, you just mentioned that your mentor said, uh, uh, make sure you know the theme before you do anything else, which I 100% agree with. Yeah. So thematically, what is your film? What are you trying to say in this film? The film is absolutely um, wrestling with kind of the idea of disillusionment. I thought that was really interesting. You know, in these, you know, I call them sort of sweaty, bare-chested movies that we've all seen too many of, you know, the, going back to maybe like the 60s and 70s, like the, obviously, Ben-Hur is Artigas. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're historical, but you still get a sense of like just this kind of typical thing. And I wanted to not do that. Um, and in my mind, those have to do with winning. And I was like, I don't know, that's less interesting to me. What if these warriors not only don't win, but they in a way don't even lose. They have kind of the rug pulled out from them uh, and they have to grapple with disillusionment. And the theme is, is for me really saying um, there's a nobility in acceptance in, ex in accepting what is. And, and that's the theme of the film, sort of wrestling with you know, trying to find, or for some characters, not find the nobility of, you know, accepting. And I think the whole thing is kind of a parallel to life because <laughs> we don't always get what we want and we have to kind of put our clothes back on and say, all right, it's Tuesday, let's go. Okay. So talk, talk to me about where did you, where did you film this actually? I, I know you didn't go to a planet. So where was this film? <laughs> We did go to a planet to, to correct you. It was Earth. But, okay, uh, but you know, you didn't go. You didn't venture somewhere else. You stayed where yeah. you were. Yeah, oh, I love that. Uh, it's funny. So we're we're recording this, and you know, in the in the pre-call, you and you were asking where I was. I'm based in Seattle, but uh, right now, kind of for my birthday, I'm I'm over here for a couple of days with my dog, and I'm actually dangerously close to where we filmed this. So I'm in the Gorge. Uh, it's a very famous concert venue. And it's in Quincy, Washington. Uh, and we filmed very, very close to here in a place called Sun Falls Dry Lakes. So there's two locations in the film. One is Sun Falls Dry Lakes, which is kind of the rockier stuff that you see. Mm -hmm. And the other sandy, you know, the sand, the sea of dunes is called Juniper Dunes. That's also in Washington. And that's um, about an hour from here near the Tri-Cities, which is getting toward the border of like Idaho and Oregon. So... Juniper Dunes and Sun Falls Dry Lakes. And um, I couldn't be happier with those locations, partially because they were such a pain in the neck to find. There's, you know, there's, there's a, it's almost death by too many choices when you're looking for locations. You know, you yeah. can kind of, kind of make anything work, but I'd written in the screenplay things like Exterior Crater and really was heartbroken that like, Ian, you've, written yourself into a corner, you're not going to find a crater. And we eventually find Juniper Dunes and come up over the rise, my producer Kelly and I. And as you've seen in the scene with the migrants, there's this incredible kind of Martian crater. So super fortunate to find uh, locations that really did justice to the the screenplay I wrote. So I'm curious, so curious about the, the costumes that you have in the in the film and like kind of creating this world and uh, kind of like even the makeup, like the the way that, like the subtle makeup kind of jobs that need to be done with these characters, right? Because they're 
they're dirty <laughs> or they have like certain tattoos and you, you, yeah. you, you're bringing uniqueness to these characters and it all comes with their, their costumes. How did that all come together for you? That is, I'm so glad you brought both of those up. Uh, and, you know, have to say costume designer, Melita Buckstaff and um, hair and makeup artist, Molly Venditwali, uh did amazing work. And this sounds like I'm saying like the, uh, you know, culturally approved 2023 thing, but I actually mean it. Um, I think the secret weapon of this film was the contribution of, of uh, the women on the cast and crew. Um, and that was also, as we talked about it as the cast and crew, one of the ways we would play against type, you know, to your Spartacus thing, not doing sort of the sweaty chested cliche thing. Um, yeah. There's a real tangible and in a, intangible authenticity that um, this group of women brought. And Melita, our costume designer, um, it was one of those serendipitous moments. I was meeting with my production designer, uh, Aaron O'Kay, um, who's worked on big films, Lynn Shelton's films, and is just ridiculously talented in sort of an interview in her studio. And um, Melita is there. And Melita works at uh, PNB, which is Pacific Ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet, doing costumes for the ballet. And We've actually she... shown a couple of films at our experimental festival from there. No way. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's amazing. So, um, She's kind of, you know, in my mind, in the background, kind of scrolling on her phone. And I don't know how much she knew about the meeting, but like as Aaron and I meet for the first time and like immediately it's zero to synergy. We just totally connect, you know, about three quarters of the way through the meeting. Melita's like, I'd be kind of interested in doing this. Yeah. And I looked, you know, she sent me like a kind of a PDF of some of the things. And I was just, you know, you could hear my jaw hitting the floor, just overwhelmingly impressed. And I didn't have a lot to say other than the energy in the room was just a big, you know, it's like that tap on the shoulder that's like just telling you yes, you know, yeah. at, a, at a sort of a body level. And the only thing I told her is, you know, my budget, it's an, it's an independent short film. So neither of you are going to make what you're worth up front. And I have to just own that. And, and where I could really use your help is on indie films, costumes look thin and that makes everything look bad. So can you make me stuff that just looks thick? That was like almost the only word initially. And she so was That's like, an interesting comment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm tracking with you. I'm like, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll start there. But I just know that it's almost like, you know, someone standing in profile in these indie films and they're supposed to be wearing some heavy thing. And you can see that it's, you know, they got it at like some fabric store. And it's like, it's just those little things that take you out of it. So I was like, just make it look thick and lived in. And then Molly, um, similarly, I think it was one of the first projects she worked on um, in, it, you know, not in terms of using her talent, but in terms of using it for film. And uh, she just absolutely killed it. Like the, the hair and makeup especially are amazing. And it's that sort of caked, dirty yeah. thing you were saying. It's like we really want to evoke that, you know, they didn't just leave and get underway. They've they've they're almost irritated with how long they've been just living in their own grime. <laughs> they don't take showers, but let's put it that way. Totally. It, exactly. But they still got to look aesthetically pleasing while they don't take showers. <laughs> it's exactly true. It's, it's like that weird cinematic, like attractive, dirty thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's because the, the, your lead actress, like she has, she evokes that. Right. So that, what we just, what I just described, like, she's like, 
she's a, you know she's you know she's a you know what I mean she has that she has that screen presence without that, being too too dirty I guess right the yeah that's another one of those really fortuitous things uh Cassie Styers is is our lead and um she you know it's funny in film and you know this is my third film that has been made so I speak from limited experience, but in my limited experience, film is often about going in a circle. You'll, you'll, you'll actually start with the right intuition. And then for a whole bunch of reasons, usually just excitement, you'll be led through this big cycle of, no, actually, maybe let's do the opposite. And then you come back around at the end to, oh, we came back to what we knew initially. And what I knew initially as the writer-director was play against type. Let's just across the board play against type from the writing of the script and how we sort of upend the macho character to Mm -hmm. the lead woman. Yeah. I was, I was telling Cassie, uh, you know how the, you know, in the Marvel movies, when one of the superheroes like jumps from a great height and lands on the ground, like in a squatting position with like their fist between their legs and they look up with like sexy eyes. Yeah. And we, we were kind of laughing. I was like, so we're, let's do the opposite of that. <laughs> like, just be, be a human being. We don't want to do, like, sexy superhero. And what's funny was, um, earlier than Cassie, um, there is a fantastic uh, actor out of the UK who is royally Shakespeare trained. And, and uh, you know, the, the role was hers. And she, she would have been just a ridiculously talented uh, performer and really cool human being. And um, as good as that would have been, I, I found Cassie to be even more an appropriate fit for the role because she had this familiarity that I think is really helpful. You know, it's not too, you know, trying to be sexy, pouty, cinematic thing that we that we all are used to. And it's yeah. also not this like very very buttoned up, kind of Shakespearean approach that, um, you know, comes from actors that are incredibly talent, but, talented, but in this genre can be kind of like, oh, we're doing this again. So Cassie, not only her talent, but just, you know, kind of where she's born and raised. I don't know, for me being a West Coast person, it's like those little bits of familiarity help in a, in a story that's so intentionally different otherwise. So where did you find her? Um, my buddy, uh, Scott Blake is a filmmaker and I was like, I, I wrote him and was like, help, you know, we're not going to be able to bring over this awesome actor from, uh, Britain because of visa issues. And we're in the middle of the pandemic. And he's like, check out Cassie Styers, my producing partner, Justin had worked with her and I couldn't find now or to me, Ian, and I can't find anything online about Cassie. And I've been in Seattle in the film thing for a while and we're a small community. So I have a pretty good sense of where to go to look and, and who, you know, couldn't find anything. I find like a real estate page and her name is misspelled on the bio. Wow. And so I call the number feeling like a total creeper, you know, it's just like, hi, I'm Ian. Do you still act? You know, I don't even know if I have the right person and it ends up being her and she hasn't acted in a few years. I'm like, this is all weird, but you know, here are the people that recommended you and I think I got something for you. And she did a little taped um, audition with her dad being the reader. And it was just pretty evident that like, you know, Cassie needs to be acting and has serious Julianne Moore vibes. 
And I'm just like, I'm so excited that she's got nominations and wins for her performance because I think the whole thing kind of rests on on her shoulders and she's framed sure does. a couple. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like that, that that this role could go wrong in, in many directions. It's like it's, it's it's these are hard films to make because I you're creating a new world, so there's that kind of easiness where you can invent anything you want. But at the same time, there's got to be a grounded approach. Like we have to, as the audience, we have to believe what we're seeing. If that makes you know what I mean, like we have oh, to understand. Perfectly, perfectly said. Yeah. So and she pulls That's it off perfectly said, and that that one word I think is you know I'm long winded, but the grounded. It is exactly exactly yeah sorry are we uh no i'm real good we're good so tell me about so tell me about the the post-production uh aspect of it you have brought an editor on there there's uh in terms of sound design like in terms of like creating this world from a sound point of view did you give that a lot of thought because it's a it's a nice sound design oh thank you and sorry about that i think we had a little glitch there with yeah it's all good we're good now yeah yeah, absolutely. What you said, grounded is you know. In a nutshell, we would we had long-winded conversations, but that's that's it. And, and as you were just saying, just to close that out, it is almost like a weird uh, crutch. And it's the same with the parallel of writing a screenplay. It's like you can do anything, and in a genre where you can literally do anything, it's cool that you have freedom, but that can very quickly become like, oh well, this thing's a tonal mess. You guys are all over the place. Yeah, so it's this weird. Um, it, if you're not careful, yeah, you'll, you'll make five different movies in one and people will just be scratching their heads. So it's, it's a weird kind of tight walk, tight rope walk of tone. Uh, and that grounded thing is a really helpful word for like, let's just make sure that this, <laughs> this thing in a weird way that people can relate to it as strange as that is. Well, but there's you, gotta, uh, there's gotta be a parallel to our world, right? There's gotta right. be. Because you know what I mean? Like there's got to be thematic underlying what you're trying to say, I guess, right? Absolutely, yeah. So tell me about it. So I was, I was saying, tell me about post-production and like putting the film all together and your, your sound design. Yeah, yeah, sound design. And you mentioned uh, the editor. Um, sound is, as, as you were correctly getting to, you know, we were talking earlier about thin costumes and, you know, the way the indie films take viewers out of the film. And for me... I've got a short list. It's like bad sound is number one. Yeah. Um, you know, bad, bad performances and bad costumes. It's like, that's, that's my, those are my three things of like, okay, I'm out. Um, you can, you can, I take cinematography very seriously and I'm fortunate to work with, you know, really talented DPs, but I've seen a lot of films that are poorly shot and still kind of work. Yeah. But, uh, boy with bad sound, you're, you're dead in the water. So, um, Brendan uh, Hogan, uh, he did the sound design for a South by Southwest award-winning feature called Prospect that, you know, speaking of genre, I could not recommend more with Pedro Pascal. It's one of the best things to ever come out of Seattle. And uh, I remember watching that. And again, the, the sound was its own character. And I was just, he and I had been circling each other, wanting to work together for a while. This was like our perfect first project. And uh the, the guy and his team are so good. You know, he just dove in and all the things. We have very few opportunities to really sell that otherworldly thing. So we put a lot of kind of weight into those moments. And there's the, you know, the the acid spitting flower, you know, a few other things. And, um, you know, then sound becomes huge because 
<laughs> obviously a flower that gets cut in half is not doesn't have a speaking role so we get a brief moment to kind of create these soundscapes that remind us that oh this is familiar and i'm tracking with it but this is also weird and intriguing and yeah brendan just killed it uh and the editor is a buddy of mine uh and his name is christopher w graham awesome dude that i met all the way back at um the now defunct hollywood film festival for my first short and uh we've stayed in touch and he's an awesome guy with similar taste and there's no better experience when you're editing with an editor that is a good human being and you find out very quickly you have a shorthand it's like it's just so much fun and then you're sort of improving you're you know that back and forth you're each watching the thing get better and nobody's precious and tour ter uh, territorial and uh yeah he did a awesome job and won an award um for editing this film, which I'm really happy about. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and like it's, I, I would I, just to jump on what you said. For me, obviously, I see a lot of short films, and it's yeah. it's the films that are too long that that you can see repeated plot points. Re repeated, like you you just want you just want to cut this film in half, and it would benefit the filmmaker so much. <laughs> the sound design, do you it just like that? Those are the two key problems I see all the time. You see a good film. Like you, you see, you're seeing, you see a great film, like the potential for a great film. And then they just don't know how to cut their film. Like they don't know how to like, and they, and I don't know why, but sound is so important. And they just kind of like so forget important. about it. And we all have, you know, we're, this is, I come um, from marketing. <laughs> uh, I hope not to go back from it, but I learned valuable lessons in it. And, you know, one of the things is, we we audiences are all so inundated with this like ocean of content you know we all are very whether we know it or not we're incredibly savvy we all have a shorthand we've seen everything by now and so we right or wrong we have associations for everything and when you and i watch something with bad sound you know for me being like 45 i'm like it's just got that like hobby-esque camcorder vibe yeah you know that tinny vibe it's like i just think of me and my friends in high school making crappy action movies where we're using ketchup for blood. It's like, this is not, this is supposed yeah. to be better than this. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it, it, it's, but for the average audience viewer, they don't know what they're, what's, what's missing, but they, they, it's like, that's what sound is. It's, there's a feel, there's a sense. And they're like, something's off here, but they don't, they, they like, unless you're like a, a film yep. nerd like us, but it's like, yep. You know what I mean? Like it's like yep. if you're, that, that's that's the, that's what happens, and you just it, it re totally removes the person out of the film. They just like they just, they stop watching, even though they don't know why they're stopping watching. They just something doesn't doesn't grab them, and it's the sound. So that is very well said. And what's what's interesting and kind of a bummer for actors. I'm such a fan of actors. Um, is oftentimes you'll hear from those same people that you know the performances were no good, and that at times is true. But bad sound can kill good performances. Yeah. In other words, like the actors will kind of end up taking the fall for the bad sound because, you know, their delivery just sounds like it was recorded in a shoebox or something. It's just this weird like. And so that's why yeah. all Hollywood movies do ADR work. They they re-record all their dialogue. Every <laughs> right. single Hollywood movie is re-recorded dialogue. So yeah. you got independent it. Independent films should do the same thing. Technology is there for them to do it. So. That's I'll say one more thing. Brendan uh, Hogan came back. We just literally a day ago, basically, two days ago, finished uh, post-production on my first feature as writer-director. It's called The Way We Speak, and Brendan, thank goodness, it's our second in a row. He, he led the sound team and just killed it. 
and he was commenting to your ADR thing. Uh, he's like the, you know, there's the huge debate that you and I don't have time for about AI, but he was saying within the past uh, five months or so, as talented and experienced as he and his team are, he's like, this film, this, your first feature, Ian, would have needed ADR if not for these, you know, plugins that came out basically within the past five months. And they are so unbelievably good, the machine learning that, you know, he could, he's quote unquote at the click of a button able to help clean up things that would otherwise need ADR. So to your point, there's, there's tools at our disposal and, yeah, I'm always thinking like, I mean, I start out of the gate as an indie filmmaker and, you know, audiences aren't, viewers aren't trained to watch short films and they don't really care that I'm an indie filmmaker. They just know at a gut level, good or bad. So like, how can I make something special and remove those obstacles so that people aren't like, oh, you know, you know, they, so that we don't get the golf clap, kind of the polite, oh, nice try. <laughs> yeah. So, so you brought, I was going to talk to you about your, you brought it up though, the, your feature film. So you're in post-production for it right now. We, we finished, um, what's today, you know, it, we finished two days ago, the, the film. So it's, it's in the can. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it stars, uh, Patrick Fabian, who is yeah. known as playing Howard on, on Better Call Saul, which he was fantastic on. So he's oh, your lead, right? He's my lead. I just got chills when you said that I've, it's, you know, my wife and I were talking, uh, and she's a producer on the feature and, you know, I was like, it definitely hasn't set in. It's been a, a, the best kind of grueling 14 months and I haven't seen my family nearly enough. And both with Patrick Fabian in the lead and the fact that it's done, I'm hearing you say it gives me that nice little like, wow, that actually happened, but I've been so close to it sure, and so busy that I'm like, Oh, I don't know. It's Patrick, you know, and yeah. he's fantastic. He's fantastic in it, by the way. But um, yeah, to, that we're done and it's slowly sinking in. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I remember in, did you get all the way through the show? I'll say something super quick. Better Call Saul? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's like one of the great oh. shows. Of, it's, I think it's better than, than, uh, than Breaking Bad. But that's my two cents. Go well, ahead. you and I should be friends because I, <laughs> I completely agree that it's better than Breaking Bad. And yeah. I, for me, um, Howard Hamlin and Lalo, the antagonist, I think they had the best two arcs on the show. As good as the two leads arcs were, I think Howard Hamlin is like, that was kind of, for me, the, the arc that I remember the most. And I remember watching, I watched that show for six seasons. I never, ever thought of Patrick for the lead role of Simon in my script, which had existed during the run of the show. Mm -hmm. And it was in the final season, I, this is not a spoiler, but you know, it's not it's not the final spoiler, but basically there's that uh, boardroom scene where he thinks he is going to get the mediator. He thinks he has dirt on a mediator and he yeah. doesn't realize that what he's saying is part of his own undoing. And I they had the writers had built up that payoff in that scene for so long. I remember telling my wife as we're watching it, I'm not tracking with this like weird thing Jimmy and Kim are doing. But it all clicks in that scene, and I'm screaming through my hands at the TV because the writing and the acting are so good. And it's the same moment I literally said through my hands while screaming because the show's so brilliant. I like, dude, he's Simon. And then six months later, we're filming together, and it's like I, I got to tell him, and it was not like kind of the BS writer director answer. I was like, yeah. this person who's here was genuinely my favorite thing that I watched in 2022. 
So uh, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people know who he is. Some people don't. But for me, I don't get starstruck very easily. But I was I was working with my favorite. I'm a working actor person. I've always liked uh, supporting actors and working actors the most. And to get to work with him on this was uh, amazing. And he's hand in glove the right fit for the the character. Yeah, it's a tough. That was a tough role that he did on that show because he was the handsome kind of like polished lawyer and then they kind of humanized them later on as as he went as the show went and he was Absolutely. used as like he was a storytelling like he was a, a storytelling tool for kim and, and jimmy where like after that happens i don't want to give give away the show <laughs> in case nobody knows nobody knows what happened because it's it's there's he's the key he's the key character to set those characters up so kim goes one direction Jimmy yes. obviously goes in the in the Saul direction, and yep. he's the character that kind of sets that that yes. them up, right? So, and that's amazing. And and I've and exactly as you've said, for all the reasons, you know, for me personally and my script, I love that I was kind of blind to ever considering him. I just enjoyed him on the show until that. And similarly, I've never seen a show where um, a character is one thing until very late, and then they just do this incredible fully fleshed out it was such a it was such a surprise to see that character become something way more crucial to that show so anyway yeah i could talk to you about better call saul all day it's one of the best no they, they have an ability to uh the writing and obviously the the creator of the show they did the same thing with uh with what's his name the, with gus where they, oh. they see the person one way and then they humanize them and then when it comes to their to a shocking development not giving anything away yeah <laughs> It's like then you're you you care you end up caring about the character that that you never really cared before right so anyway it's just well, you, it's interesting that you, you he's use your lead guy and no I love to see it so well, you, I would love for you to see it I'll I'll uh, I'll shoot you a link um and while since we're such Better Call Saul fans I yeah. you got to give me thirty seconds uh, I have one more little surprise so in in Gus's final scene if I remember correctly in Better Call Saul you remember that amazing scene at the at the like the, the wine place. Yeah, so yeah. The, the 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 server that he's having a conversation with is Reed Diamond, um, and Reed Diamond was in Moneyball, and um, I mean he he is like Patrick Fabian has like an incredible list of all the movies and shows in which he's had significant roles. Um, Moneyball is my favorite film, and oh really? Good, good night and good luck. And he, I ended up writing a character who we only hear over the phone talking to. Patrick's wife in the film, you know, and I couldn't unhear Reed Diamond because I love Moneyball and he's in that final scene with Gus. So I was fortunate to get him for this role in my feature also. And it, every time I listen to it, I'm like, it's just, you know, it's like an Easter egg for one person. The dude's an amazing actor. Yeah. But for me, it's just such a perfect fit of this doctor who is kind of low key hitting on, you know, Patrick's character, Simon's wife and, it's so perfectly Reed Diamond. It's 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 great. <laughs> so I got two cast members from Better Call Saul, which is fun. So so Moneyball is your favorite film. So are you are you a yeah. baseball fan or not at all? I mean that's a good idea of. Uh, I mean I'm you know I'm not not a fan. I'm probably somewhere in the like, let's go to the let's you know take my kids to the field because I want to eat a hot dog kind of thing. You know. Okay. Um, but. No, that's a good example of we we're talking about with Brian McDonald and, you know, he talks about armature and theme. Yeah. I am convinced that movie has nothing to do with baseball, 
it's just the setting and what that movie really is is just a brilliant i think the theme of the film is what the manager of the boston red sox in the film says at the end which is the first guy through the wall always gets bloodied and i think it's one of the best movies it's my favorite movie but one of the best things i've ever seen about like leadership under pressure you know and that to change the status quo is gonna beat the crap out of you and you're gonna lose a lot of people along the way <laughs> no 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 it's, just, it's funny that you yeah well it's a great it's, it's michael lewis's book right so that kind of that book changed my life when i, when I read wow. it so it's oh, just wow. like well because i'm a well one because i'm a big baseball fan so yeah, i understand I the game very well and i, I so i saw i saw what was happening with the game right where like it was shifting it was shifting like and then but i didn't understand it and then basically we i did in a sense but i didn't right and then that yeah. book comes out and it, and it made and i knew nothing about business what i'm doing now and so the book comes out and it's like oh my god i can i understand business now because i know baseball so well i understand what they're doing how to how to shift gears and how to like all from the, so basically the kind of like the book kind of blew me away it was like yeah i get it I had no idea they were going to make a movie out of it starring Brad Pitt because that was like, it was more of a book than a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some, some books I, you I read, should... it's like, oh, that's a movie. But then the Moneyball didn't look feel like a movie to me. So, well, I should read the book off of it. I think you and I were learning to have similar taste. And yeah. uh, I mean, I remember seeing that movie. I had I'd written screenplays in my 20s. Here was my bright idea, which didn't work. Oh, I'm going to write feature length screenplays. And at the time, basically go through the white pages, you know like the internet's in its infancy ish and i'm just going to do query letters i mean remember query letters yeah you know i just i got in contract with a guy and it went somewhere but i burnt myself out i was too young and it's it's good that i didn't get anything made because the stuff i was writing was garbage and i went away for six years thought i was done with film and was like a blogger on like you know faith and human rights and stuff and um, I'm watching movies like Margin Call, which is another favorite of mine, and and Moneyball. And I remember the, you know, I've never seen a movie like Moneyball that felt so reaches through the TV or the theater in this case, and grabs me by the chest like, the feeling that it was made for me. Of course it was not, but it just was eerily. And specifically, there's a cue in that movie that plays a couple times, and you know, it was like the cue the music itself was saying like, you know, get off your butt. You need to try again. It was this weird that that money is not that movie's not only my favorite, but it definitely gets credit with me coming back for round two. Yeah. And and now everybody did what Billy Bean did, right? In baseball. Like it's like <laughs> so everything's kind of like back to they went everything got went back to normal because everybody was doing the same system, right? So then yep. new systems had to be created within the system that was created. So. It's amazing. I mean, and I, I will need to read the book. You, you have more credibility to, to say if it's successful or not based on adapting from the book. But there's just so many. There's, you know, I have worked uh, in places with toxic leadership. I obviously am in, in leadership myself, being a writer, director and a producer. And so I've seen both ends of it. And like you said, there's a business component to all this. And you know, and then it, it, business becomes personal and there's relationships and like, it's just uh, challenging to navigate. And it's, it's, is that kind of Gandhi thing of, I'm going to butcher Gandhi's quote, but you know, first they mock you, you know, eventually, eventually they join you. Uh, and, and like you're saying that thing that was initially like, they do it really well in Moneyball, everybody just 
all the commentators that play over being like, oh, it's not going to work. And baseball is bunting in this. Yeah. And to what you just said now, now it's the norm. You know, he went first and got bloodied for it. I, it's just, I love that. There might even be some of that in Pinwheel Horizon. Just, just that idea of the, the nobility of getting the crap kicked out of you and standing back up, I think is really, that resonates for me. So just to be fair, the because I'm this is just, I'm going to getting into nerd territory here, but to be fair, <laughs> that basically um, Bill James was a very famous writer, and he he had this system like he was writing about how baseball needed the change, and they were doing everything wrong in the yeah. early '80s, right? And yeah. he was like a kind of like a professor, and nobody listened to him, so he was writing books, and my dad would buy me these books, and I would like I was like a baseball, and I love baseball. And, yeah. and devouring and stats and he was like it's like but then everybody he was saying this is what how the game should be but nobody would do it it was like an old man it was an old boys club right right like you had to be a fit former player or whatever like that and then all of a sudden you got this guy who basically failed as a baseball player because he wasn't what he was he, he looked he looked like he looked the part like yeah. as an actor analogy, but he wasn't the part, right? He was right. So basically, so then he understood his own failings, right? It's I a just, great arc, right? So basically he understood his own failings, like, oh, why don't I just take what Bill James has been doing for 20 years? Nobody else is doing it. And that's what he did, right? And then all of a sudden, this guy, Bill James, became became the brilliant one, right? But it took him 20 years. Yeah. Oh, and I just love the connection you're making. Of, yeah. yeah. I never made that of uh yeah. you know, the baseball player who had to like no failure it's almost like bottoming out was the only way that he would sort of desperately see and receive the thing that bill james had been perfecting yeah. for all those years and everybody else at the top like you said it's like <laughs> we're not changing this is working for us you know yeah. i love i just there's so much psychology it almost sounds like biblical you know you got to kind of bottom out to to start over and then so this is this is only 20 years ago right so the basically so now it was old like old like old like white men general managers right so who were like who were in charge but they used to play the game now it's all harvard business graduates all mit analytics guys so they're all like these these ivy league people in the front office right so who are like who run the game but the ripple effect is that now it's like that in football right now it's like that in the nba amazing the only thing that's behind is is this is hockey they're still in the old boys club right but oow Wow. But, then it, but it changed bit, but it also made made people like like I don't know if you've like well, basketball. Basketball has completely changed, right? Wow. Basketball was like throw the ball to the center and he'll try to get a basket. Now it's like you got these guys throwing these 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 like thirty these thirty feet haymakers from the three point range. <laughs> no, meaning that because they they realize that three points is better if you shoot true three points at forty percent, it's better than two points at fifty percent. So why wow. don't we just do this, right? Yeah. But that took that took a hundred years to figure out too, right? So well, I envy you. I used yeah. to be, you know, the Seattle uh Sonics were were kind of a you know, kind of a garbage town. I'm just gonna say. I by the way, I'm a football <laughs> fan and I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. We don't have time for the explanation why, but um, yeah. all my buddies in town are Seattle fans. Of course, yeah. I, I, I highly dislike my home team and home team fans not the people, but that they're fans. And Seattle's, you know, we're notoriously kind of a garbage town for sports and we lost the Sonics back when we had the Sonics. And I was growing up, you know, I remember going to like playoff games with my dad and like, I kind of envy you. Maybe I've just gotten too busy and, you know, uh, but uh, I, I miss my enthusiasm for sports that I, and I, 
I blame, I probably shouldn't, but I blame my town a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I, the, the, you got, doesn't like the Seahawks, don't they have like a huge, like amazing fan base? Yes. Right? But see, then again, we run up against, I'm a Saints fan. So like, and I'll, I'll never live down Beastquake, you know, with uh, whatever that wild card game was where um, I'm forgetting the running backs. Oh, the, uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch. I'll never, I'll never live that down. So now, now it's really on and I'm like, I just mortally hate the Seahawks. <laughs> and then, yeah. So, but yeah, it, like, anyways, basically, like, so then you have, to, you have the Kraken now, right? The yeah. hockey yes. team, and then and you got the you got the Mariners, who are like the, the tragic, the uh, the tragic baseball team, right? Like, I'm a I'm a I'm a Jays fan. I'm from Toronto, so oh nice. We always migrate to to uh, anytime we play you guys. We always migrate to Seattle and take over your stadium, and then what you guys. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah no there is some good drama there it's you know maybe maybe now that the film's done you know i i sort of caught wind of uh on the internet like oh the kraken are good now i mean to me they're still a new team i don't even know how long they've been around so i need to kind of maybe just pick poke my head out of the hole and you know yeah. live some life a little bit yeah but the seahawks are a fun team to watch they're like a, they're a fun football team so they 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 got they got some they always they have they they always figure it out they always figure out how to be good so yeah yeah that's nice they it's funny I remember back when I was more into them in the nineties they were the opposite they were just the, the, a very paper thin team and they seem like they have it's one of the things I like about the Saints they they have that scrappy resourceful thing yeah obviously talent but they which which annoys me because I'm like they're kind of a Saints rival you know now so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you should be a Seahawks fan, but that's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I believe that that you should follow that. I grew up in Niagara region, Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah, I believe that you're supposed to be the a fan of the team that you grew up grew up in your childhood. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, I, <laughs> that's I my ideology at least. I like that a lot. I love that. Yeah. So there's something really pure about that that I yeah. used to have, and I love that you still have that. <laughs> no matter how much they just, they destroy my soul, I I still have to be a fan of them. So yeah. No, that's that's admirable. I'm like the weird Judas that like, you know, just like betrayed my hometown. <laughs> All right, man. On that note, love, congratulations on the feature film. I'd love to see it. I'm sure it's going to do well. And uh, Patrick Fabian and uh, starring in it. And, uh, and congratulations. Thanks for talking about this film. And uh, let's talk again when uh, either we, we show a feature film of yours or that film. And uh, would have loved to help promote it. I would love to. Thanks so much for inviting me on this. And yeah, it's really from, you know, your feedback uh that video the feedback screeners feedback viewers to this it's you know the most gratifying thing that we have lots of conversations and put a lot of time into getting our ducks in a row and when people are sort of repeating back to us the essence of what we were trying to do it's super gratifying so uh thanks and thanks for having a festival that like cares about short films uh it's a it's a tough stepping stone to features for sure you know, and we put our hearts into it. And then a lot of times the most common response is kind of deer in the headlights. I just think the average person doesn't really know. We don't have that internal clock for watching short films. You know, I, I'm always hopeful that Netflix will just freaking like just make, dude, you're set up for it. You know, make a make a thing on there that's like short collections. And so that the general public can kind of get acclimated to shorts. But in the meantime, we have festivals uh and I, I have to segue you there like you where you can go to wildsound.ca and you can call go to the app and we have a we have over 200 short films and it's growing every day to people wow cool 
Well, let's, I, again, really, <laughs> really appreciate it. And yeah. we'll have more conversations after this. All right. And congratulations and good luck with the, with the future film. Thank you so much. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel.